0: You know, Pastor preached last week, he talked about remember me, and he talked about the thieves on the cross, and he read this verse, Luke 23. Then he, the the thief on the cross, he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today, everybody say today, today you will be with me in paradise. And he said it last week. Jesus blew up religion in that moment. Like blew up the religious mindset that was so predominant in that day because there were so many rules and regulations. I mean, there was no altar call, he didn't pray the sinner's prayer, he didn't get baptized, he didn't go through like years of schooling so he could know the Bible and the law. Like he didn't, he didn't even tithe. He didn't serve or volunteer. Now, they should serve and volunteer if you haven't yet. See see Rhonda. But he didn't do any of that. And Jesus said, today, baby, you're going to be in paradise. Come on in. I'm paraphrasing. But he was hanging on a cross for crimes that he was justly accused and condemned for. He was being punished because according to what because he deserved to be punished. He was literally the the, for a short amount of time the living, breathing example of what this series that we're diving into right now is disgrace. He was disgraced, publicly humiliated. And instead of shame, and condemnation and telling them like, hey, remembering when you're in paradise. Well, okay, I can remember you, but like, hey, did did you repent for this and this and this? And then there's 52 things from your childhood. You beat up your brother. Do you remember that? There, There was no list. And I know that's simple and I'm making a little joke, but some of you still have a list. Some of you have been in church your whole life and you still got a list. You're still trying to check the boxes so that you can get approved and get loved. But Jesus, in that moment, the the pivotal moment in history, right before he says, it is finished and the veil is torn and there's a way made for you and me and every person on the planet to get back into relationship with God the Father, a perfect, loving God who loves us just the way we are. Right before that moment when all eyes of human history are on him, He says there's no prerequisites. There's no conditions. There's no mandatory clean yourself up before you can be with me in paradise today. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And so Jesus offered him the one thing that no one else on the planet offered him. He offered him grace. The grace of God. The unconditional love and acceptance of God. See, mercy's not getting what you deserve. When I give Hudson mercy, because he was misbehaving, but I give him mercy, and I don't punish him. (laughs) Hudson's running the lights right now from the front row. When he doesn't get punished, when he deserves it, that's mercy. But grace is, hey, Hudson, let's go to the beach, not because you deserved it or earned it, but because I love you. Or more more for him, it would be Hudson, let's go buy 52 books that you can read. Like, he is a voracious reader. He has a book this thick sitting on the front row. told him he's not allowed to read it during church. Hey, put that down. (laughs) But grace is giving him a gift that he didn't earn, that he didn't deserve. And see, if, if we're honest, all of us have felt this disgrace. We felt shame. We felt guilt. We felt condemnation. I felt that. We're going to read a little story in a minute here about being caught in the act. Could everybody just raise your hand for a second? Just everybody in the room for a second. These are all the people that have been caught in the act. Does anybody have a moment? where you can think back to the moment, close your eyes and think about it. Some of you don't even have to do that. And you remember getting caught and you remember how it felt. Like some of you, your stomach's turning right now. And I've had a a good number of those moments in my life. Some go all the way back to childhood. And I can, in a moment, now, change your story, change your life. You, do you know you can even change the story of what happened in the past? Because there, there was one moment I remember and I was playing in the neighborhood with some kids, and this was when I lived in Ohio before, uh, well, anyways, before first grade, first grade-ish. And we were playing wiffle ball, one of those, the big bats and the big balls. Those, they need to bring those back. And uh, we hit it and I busted a window in a neighbor's uh garage door and I went immediately up to the door and no I didn't I hightailed it out of there didn't I I ran I was scared and I remember it so vividly I went into the house and our double wide trailer and I there was this couch that it was the it was the ugliest hideous thing ever but it had it looked like Thanksgiving vomited on the couch and the, and I I got around the end of the couch and I I got down like this on the end of the couch and I was hiding And what did I feel in that moment? Disgrace. Shame. Guilt. Regret. Although I did get a hold of it, but there was definitely regret. And my dad came and found me. And I would think for many, 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 many years, decades, I could think back to that story and recall the guilt, the shame, the the disgrace of it. And then I had a moment where someone helped me realize that I could rewrite that story. Not from my imagination, but from reality. Because when my dad found me, Did, did the window get replaced in the garage door? I mean, first grade, did it get replaced? Did, did my family pay for it? Did I pay for it? No. I mean, I couldn't even get a job. I couldn't even, I don't know, maybe he had me do chores. But I remember the feeling before dad came, but when dad came, what did I get? Grace. I got love. Now, he did take me down to their house and have me knock on the door and own up to what I did. But did my dad shame me? Did my dad ever bring up for the rest of the next couple decades when I could recall that story and feel the shame and the guilt? No, no, no. The story I was telling myself was shame and guilt and regret. But the story that actually happened was grace, the love of God, the goodness of God. And I walked the room, I looked at everybody in here, and I'm sure there's some folks here that you need to experience the love and grace of God for the first time. You need to come home. He loves you, you belong, you are loved and accepted. And we'll 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 cover that. We're going I want you to know just how good he is. That you don't have to earn it. You don't have to get cleaned up. But so many of you in this room, you're a regular. Look at somebody and say what's up? Just tell. Them. It's not your first time here. It's not your first time in church and yet this message could never be more relevant because it's the goodness of God it is the grace of God that that is secures our salvation it's not our good behavior and we we end up what we end up doing when we have shame and disgrace and we try to hide like i tried to hide and we keep secrets because we think if other people know the real me. If somebody found out what I'm really dealing with, they wouldn't love me. I mean, I'm not too proud to say there's some things in my life that I've done, that I've said, that I've thought, that I am not comfortable with all y'all knowing. I mean, I know who I am in Christ and all, but that's no guarantee that when you know, you're gonna love me. Because you might look at me different. You might think about me different. And so, what, what do we do in that? Well, we, we hide it, we, we conceal it. And no matter how holy or pious or good you are, I mean, you're good. You're, you're good. You're great. You're sitting in church. You even got your seat. In fact, I, was, I teased Genesis in the back. I was like, hey, would you go, your whole family, you moved to the other side of the room. What are you doing? Like you're supposed to be sitting right over there where Caleb and Ali are sitting. And Caleb and Ali, you took their seat cuz you don't usually sit there. That's what happened. <laughs> but like you you can have your spot in church on, and still be keeping secrets. Right. I love you. <laughs> and we keep secrets. Uh all kinds of secrets, don't we? Let me rattle off a few. Secrets like had an affair. I was abused. So you didn't even make that happen, and yet you keep it a secret because you think people are going to look at you different. And perhaps you've made yourself, the one that was abused, you've made it your fault that you were. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Some of you, you're on the other side of that. You abused someone else, and now you've come to realize it and you've never talked with anybody about it because of the shame and disgrace you feel like it would bring. Maybe you committed a crime. Maybe you're addicted to sex or porn, drugs, alcohol. Maybe you're about to file bankruptcy, and everybody thinks everything is A-OK, congratulating you on, way to go, way to be successful, and you're scared of people found out. Other secrets, like it runs the spectrum, doesn't it? Like holding a grudge. Like some of you, you are so good at loving people and you can talk about it and love people. But there is one person that when their name gets brought up, like it's like a switch flips and hatred stirs up on the inside of you. But you're not willing to let go of it because it's your little secret. Yeah, you're going to want to let go of that, by the way. Maybe you're a gossip. Maybe you're living a double life that no one here knows about. Maybe you lie to people that you love often. And it just becomes so normal that you've made it okay. Maybe your secret is you don't even know what the the guy up here is talking about. You don't even know what those songs that they were singing about. And you're smiling and you're like, yay. I'm supposed to raise my hand because everybody else, okay, yep. But your secret is you don't feel like you belong here because you don't understand it all. And you're trying to hide and play the part and try to fit in. And can I just tell you, we'd love for the beauty of who you are, the uniqueness of who you are to be added into the mix here. Stop trying to act like somebody else and just be you. Because you are beautiful. You are amazing. We don't want you to be like anybody else. We don't want you to be like Becca. Because Becca's the perfect, I, I knew that I was gonna get that, but I'm, Becca's the perfect version of Rebecca Terry. No one else on the planet can be like her. So we don't want Mara to be like her, we want Mara to be Mara. If you want proof of that, ask Becca to do the flag thing next week and see how, how it goes. <laughs> Everybody's got their gift. I have no idea why the flags have come up twice today. I don't know. It's how she worships. Becca, do you like to worship with flags? No, no. no. (laughs) She's blushing a little bit. Be you. You are beautiful and amazing and unique and awesome. Stop trying to hide that you're not like everybody else here, because, in fact, that's one of the most beautiful things about you being here is you're different than everybody else. And we like your uniqueness. We don't need you to conform to something. It's hard to go through this uh, and not preach into. Like, we've all got secrets. We've all got things we're hiding that we don't want disclosed, that we feel shame and disgrace. And, And some of those shame and disgrace things, they've been public for some, but for most in this room, the large majority in this room, they've been internal or known just among a few. But you know, it doesn't matter if there's only two or three people that know your thing because if your story is shame and disgrace, the whole world could know and it wouldn't be any different than the weight of that shame. The weight of that condemnation wouldn't be any different. And so we've all felt it. We've all known it. And so why, why am I highlighting the fact that we all got secrets and shame and disgrace in our lives? Could it be... That I wanna make you feel guilty. (laughs) Is is this my goal? That I wanna make you feel guilty and disqualified and condemned because of your secrets? Is it because I wanna stir up the fear of God on the inside of you? Because if you don't get cleaned up, you better look out, because lightning's coming. Is it because I want you to feel judged for your bad behavior? And I want you to conform to religious and socially acceptable norms. Now, by the way, some of those religious and socially acceptable norms are not actually biblical. Just a little tangent. Is it because I want to tell you, hey, you either need to clean yourself up or stop coming to church and being a hypocrite? The tragic thing is that the church has done way too many of those. That's why I belong, that first B being first, makes this church different than a lot. Now, there's a bunch of awesome churches out there that love people just the way they are. But have some of you been into a church where that was not the case? Anyone? Oh, you don't even wanna raise your hand, okay. I have. And so we're, we're not gonna do any of those things, no guilt, no shame, no condemnation. In fact, by the way, just a little tangent, a little bonus for you. Guilt, shame, and condemnation, making someone feel shamed and disgraced, these are the tactics of the devil himself. And if you wield those tactics in any relationship, whether you're a boss or a parent or a spouse, you're operating in the devil's anointing, not God's. So, Two truths that we're going to amplify in this series that's called disgrace. You see the little slash? We scribbled out disgrace. Grace. Everybody say grace. Truth number one is this. The devil wants to separate you from God's grace. Constant. The word dis, if you go back to Latin, dis means to move apart from. To separate or to reverse the force of disgrace. So the devil wants to separate you from God's grace. He wants to move you as far away from the grace and the goodness of God as he can. He wants to reverse the force. Of God's grace, how many have felt the force of God's grace in your life? Like He loved you, and there ain't no reason He should have loved you. By the way, that's everybody in the room, unless we start VIP and sinners here. But the devil's on a mission to separate you from that, and so if he can separate you from that because of sin and mistakes, failures weaknesses and vulnerabilities. He's attempting to disgrace you, to separate you from the goodness of God, the grace of God, the love of God, because he wants you to feel trapped, weighed down, shamed, and disgraced because of your sin, failures, mistakes. And here's what you gotta know. Sin is not going to kill you. But condemnation in your heart that's unresolved... That condemnation will kill you. Amen. And we've all lived with it, right? Now, some of you, you're, you're feeling this sin and guilt and condemnation. You got some secrets that you don't want anybody to know, and you've been hiding some stuff, and maybe you've been in church a long time, and there's still some stuff from your past that you've tried to hide and you don't want to disclose, and maybe there's some stuff going on in your life right now and you're feeling that. But again, there's a lot of you in the room who you've been a believer for a long time. How many of you experienced the saving grace of Jesus? If so, say yes. 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 And see, you experienced the saving grace, the goodness of God. His grace is unearned. It is undeserved. Nobody in here deserved it. You deserve death, hell, and the grave. You deserve punishment for your sin. But God himself sent Jesus to the cross to take all the weight of your punishment, all the shame of your sins and my sins, so that you never have to receive punishment for your sins. He took it all. And so all of you just, just shouted, yes, I've received the grace of God, the free gift of God's grace. And, and de- the devil lost that battle. You received the grace. But you know what he's been doing ever since? he's been attempting to reverse the force of that grace in your life. To to separate you from it. And he does it subtly, little by little. By making you think if you get cleaned up enough, you're a little bit more lovable. By making you think if you serve more, that, that he's gonna approve of you more. By, by making you think that if you don't cuss as much anymore or drink as much or look at porn as much, isn't it funny how we qualify things? A little bit of change. See, see, if I'm just improving to get more of God's love, if I improve a little bit, then I get a little bit more of it. And every step we take towards good behavior, getting us into heaven and getting us more of God's love, my good behavior, my works, all, like every step we take towards that path is reversing the force of the true gift of God's grace in our life, is separating us from the goodness of God because that's, if the devil can convince you that your good behavior is getting you to heaven, then he's winning. My hope, my prayer is that this morning, some of you have been in church all your life or for a long, long time, that you feel the gift, the free gift of God's unconditional love for you in a deeper way than you felt in a long time, maybe since that first time when you were saved by grace through faith. And you still should serve and do the things, but you don't do that to get something. You do it out of the joyful overflow. You do it out of a victorious Christian life. You do it because I am loved and accepted just the way I am, not the way I should be. And guess what? I'm going to serve more, not less from that place. Am I going to impact more people that way? You know, it's interesting because a lot of times we, uh, we want to give people the good news. And see, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not a list of do's and don'ts for how we, what we need to do to get to Jesus, to get back into relationship with the Father. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is what God has already done to bridge the way. He bridged the way through the cross to bring us back into relationship. But see, we can't give to others what we don't have. if you haven't truly received the grace of God, the goodness of God. See, some of you, the big aha you're gonna have today is that you've been putting conditions on love and like there's some people that you have judged because they're not living holy enough, because they're not being transformed enough. And realize when you do that, you're not giving them the grace of God. You're giving them conditions. You're giving them religion. You're going to be kind of like the Pharisees in the Bible that we're just going to read about. Turn to John chapter 8 if you want to follow along. It will be on the screen. John chapter 8, the story that nothing is greater than God's grace. Look at somebody saying nothing. This felt like a nut and honey commercial right there. That was not good. Everybody say Grace. John 8, verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. So he's in church, he's teaching the people. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, religious law and the Pharisees, these were the holders of the do's and the don'ts, the rules and regulations. These were the people that are going to tell you what you got to do in order to be loved by God. The religious law and the Pharisees, they brought a woman who had been caught in the act. Everybody say caught in the act. Caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Stop there for a second. The woman was caught in the act. Last time I checked, how many people does it take to the act of adultery, any? Two, two people. And in fact, it's ironic because the very law they're trying, they're saying they're upholding, the law says this, the law says that the man and the woman caught in the act should be stoned. But for whatever reason, they just brought the woman and they're accusing her. I mean, I don't know this, but reading between the lines there, could this maybe have been a setup? Cause I mean, catching, catching somebody in the act—I mean, it, that's what it said—catching them in the in the a- act. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, somebody got set up, and maybe the man in the room was maybe a part of that. But she got caught in the act. What did she feel when she got caught in the act? Shame, disgrace. So they bring her in the front of everybody. Now listen, some of you, um, you're like, well, I'm not going to get caught. Nobody's ever going to find out because they haven't found out yet. The Bible says everything that's hidden is going to be revealed. And by the way, Pastor quoted it earlier or was talking about it earlier that God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all at once. Before they got caught in the act by people, who was in that room? God himself. He sees it all. He knows it all. Now, now some of you, I say that, and you're like, like your stomach's turning again. But that, that's not the intention. What you need to know is that what's hidden is going to be revealed. He already knows. Other people are going to probably find out. So your secrets are not safe. You're not as good at covering it up as you think. So she got caught in the act. Uh, in the Passion, it says this. It says, then in the middle of his teaching, the religious, they, they brought her in front of the crowd. In the middle of the teaching. See, they didn't come at the beginning because, see, if, he, if, if they brought her in the beginning, half of y'all wouldn't have been in the room because, you know, some of you are the latecomers. And so he waited till the room was full. I was trying to avoid my wife's... Glance right there. Um I'm look over here. I'm going to preach over here to Caleb. Um, and then it says, and they made her stand in the middle of everyone. See, this is how the devil works. You think you're safe, you think nobody's ever going to come out, find out, and then maximum exposure, maximum shame and disgrace. And again, that can be felt and experienced even if only one person knows. That can be felt even if it's only you that knows. And the weight of that shame and that disgrace, the devil's going to use that to beat our brains out. You guys have been there, right? Some of you are there right now. And he's beating your brains out, telling you you're not enough. Telling you that you're you've disqualified yourself from the love of God. That you're not worthy of His love. If you were worthy of it, then Jesus didn't even need to go to the cross. Nobody in the room is worthy of it. Nobody in here is qualified. Look, look at somebody and say, You're not qualified. See, what the devil will use to condemn you, Jesus will use to love you. Verse 6, it says they were trying to trap Jesus into saying something they could use against him. But just Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone." Then he stooped down again and rode in the dust. This just hit me, not in my notes or premeditated, but I've watched our pastors love people going through hard things when the crowd was demanding that they judge and disgrace them. You know, the church can be the worst. We don't just judge the world and condemn the world for stuff. We, we kill our own wounded. We'll give grace to a drug addict, but giving grace to someone that was caught in an affair. Or... I've watched them, figuratively, the crowd hollering, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? do about that? How are you going to, like, you need to speak up about that. You need to tell people about they need to get caught, they need to be exposed. And he didn't say it, but the sentiment was the same. Hey, whoever's without sin, why don't you throw the first stone? And then he just goes back to loving. Just goes back to pastoring a church. That's making a difference in our community. That's loving people right where they're at, not where they should be. Listen, guys, there's a cost to grace. You you gotta freely receive it. But if you're going to freely give it to others, other people aren't going to understand that. Grace is messy. How many want our church to grow and more people to be in the room? If so, say yes. I'm so glad. But understand, when they come, it's going to get messier. There's going to be people that don't dress like you or talk like you or live the same lifestyle as you, and you're going to have to love them like Jesus. And there are going to be people down the road that are like, oh, they let anybody come in that church. They're all Gracie, Gracie, Gracie. The grace of God, if it was good enough for you, it's good enough for them. What the world will use to condemn you, Jesus will use to love you. And when Jesus said that, like, hey, whoever's with the first stone, you—you, without sin, throw the first stone. He said that as much for the accusers as he did for the woman, because here's what he knew. Everybody in that crowd had their own secrets. And he was, in effect, saying, hey, if you want me to condemn her for her secrets, then we're going to have to condemn you for your secrets. If you want her to get to heaven based on her good behavior, then hold up. Wait a minute here. Like, We're going to make sure you can get to heaven based on your good behavior. I don't know about you, but last time I checked, my behavior wasn't good enough for that. It says, when the accusers heard this, the accusers, the accusers, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. You know, in the book of Revelation, it says that the devil himself is the accuser of the brethren. If the devil himself is called an accuser, I don't want to be in that camp. If there is a reason to accuse, there is an opportunity to give grace. God did not call you or me to accuse, to condemn, to punish. He called you and me to, the people will know us by our our love. He called us to love. I'm not given a license to sin. No, 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 no. But as we'll see in this passage, Jesus didn't either. But where does he start? Where did he start on the cross? With love, with unconditional acceptance. Where does he start with this woman? With love. Verse 10, it says, Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. See, the devil sees your mistakes, your sins, your failures as an opportunity to shame and disgrace you. But God sees your mistakes, your sin, your failure as an opportunity for the love of God to go on full display. The more you sin, the more he loves. The devil is an accuser. He is a disgracer, a shamer, but God is a grace giver. He is a lover of you, and you can't earn that. You can't behave well enough. You can't clean yourself up enough. He loves you. Everybody say, I'm loved. See, the woman had that secret, and she got caught in the act, and the devil wanted to be like, hey, as long as nobody else knows, your secret's safe with me. But God said he, he's got a secret too. And, and God's secret is, there ain't nothing you can do to mess up my love for you. There's no mistake, no sin. There is nothing, Romans 8 says, that can separate you from the love of God. See, the grace of God is the greatest kept secret on the planet. And the devil don't want you to know and there's so many churches that shy away from the grace of God. And they want to preach holiness and you got to get it right and you got to be well behaved. And we believe in holiness here, don't get me wrong. But there is a bigger truth that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. That is, where sin abounds, the Bible says in Romans 5 where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. You need the love of God. I need the love of God. And the people that don't know him yet, they don't need the rules. They need his love. They need unconditional love and acceptance. And and catch the progression here. Jesus, where are your accusers? No one condemned you, not even one. No, 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 no one, Jesus. Then neither do I condemn you. Full stop. She's free from condemnation what would your life be like if you never felt guilt, shame, and regret and condemnation? Can you imagine that? I have a hard time imagining that because I'm pretty good at self-punishment. Like, I don't need anybody else to help me. Katie doesn't have to, like, I will beat my own brains out because you're a failure, because you let people down, you let her down, you let, like, what would it be like? Jesus saying, then, then neither do I condemn you. The Bible says, Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In that moment, again, no altar call, no baptism, no uh, clean yourself up before you can be in paradise. But in that moment, neither do I condemn you. That moment was her moment of salvation, of knowing the unconditional love and acceptance of God. She was free. Free. Absolutely, completely free. And then... He says, now that you're free, go and sin no more. You're free. I don't condemn you. They didn't condemn you. I don't condemn you. God doesn't condemn you. Now that you're free, let that sin and that shame and that disgrace just fall off. Now walk out there into who you really are. Walk out there into your true identity. Go and sin no more, daughter. See, God has chosen every single one of you as a child of God. And there is nothing you can do to mess up his love for you, his grace for you. The only thing you can do to mess it up is to reject it. The only thing you can do now, some of you, again, you got saved and you received the grace of God, but then the devil has been disgracing, separating, reversing the force of grace in your life because he's got you thinking you got to behave your way into heaven. You got to get it all right. You got to attend. You got to give. You got to serve. You got you got you got to not do those things that you used to do. And again, when you are free in Christ, your desire for those things are going to fall off. Listen, if you're having a hard time going and sinning no more, go back to step one. You're not condemned. If you're having a hard time going and sinning no more and it hasn't fallen off of your life and your desires have not gone away, go back not to, well, how do I get myself better? Go back to how do I tap into the love and the goodness of God that loved me before I changed? See, the Bible says that while you were still sinners, he died for you and me. He's not waiting for you to get perfect. He wants you, he loves you so much he doesn't want you to stay where you're at. Because some of us, we got some secrets and some shame and some sin that it's ripping us apart on the inside. But he doesn't need you to get perfected and not sin at all before he doesn't condemn you. He does it in reverse from what this world does. He loves you just the way you are. Mistakes and all. Jacked up thoughts and all. I don't know why I'm saying this, but some of you got a divorce and you've been carrying shame around of a divorce your entire life. Catch this. Stop it! Jesus says, he didn't say, hey, as long as you don't get divorced or messed up, I'm gonna not condemn you. He says, I love you. Just the way you stop carrying that around. It's reversing the force of grace in your life. Stop that. Receive it. Free the gift of God's grace. Romans 5. Whoa. Hello. Romans 5. God wanted to make sure you heard this one louder. Our faith, and this is the Passion Translation. These are some very familiar verses about the grace of God. But this is the Passion Translation, kind of like the message, so you can hear it fresh. Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us, and he now declares us flawless in his eyes. I love the Bible. See, some of you are trying to get flawless, and he already declared you flawless. Stop trying to get what he already gave you as a gift. This means you can now enjoy true and lasting peace. Everybody close your eyes. Put your hands on your chest. Say, I have peace. I have joy. This is going to be hard for you. Say, I am flawless. I am righteous. I am perfect. Because then it goes on and it says, all because of what our Lord Jesus, the anointed one has done for us. Our faith, not our good behavior, our faith guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect, everybody say perfect. A perfect relationship with God. Listen, is that based on your perfection? No, your your perfect relationship is based on him. His love, not your love. His action to go to the cross, not your action to get it right all the time. A perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. I jump down there and it says, I'm just going to hit a couple things, and because of the sacrifices of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. That's in verse 9. See, if you want to know if you've truly forgiven someone else, it's because you've let them off the hook. They don't need to be punished. They don't need to be found out. If you want to let know if you've truly received the forgiveness of God for yourself, it's because you don't need to be punished anymore. You don't need to be found out. You don't need to be exposed, caught in the act. And some of you are still trying to, like, be good enough. We're going to flip that. Verse 20, and yet, whenever wherever sin increased, there was more than enough more than enough more than enough of God's grace to triumph all the more and just as just as sin reigned through death so also the sin conquering grace will reign as king through righteousness and parting eternal life through Jesus our lord and messiah you're loved you're loved just the way you are, not the way you should be. No need to clean up. No need to get ready. You're loved today.